I get the best seat in the house most, uh, most all of the time, but particularly when we see the kids uh, running out and running back in, by the way. That's, that's fun, too. Uh, thank you all. This morning, we, we continue in John chapter 7. We have been building up to this point, and today we come to verses 37 through 52. I've been telling you for the past few weeks that all that we have been studying in John 7 is, is leading to this point. And so let's, let's dive in. This is, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers said, no one has ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. And it's your word that you have given us today. And so I ask that you would, you would anoint our ears. You would open our hearts. That we might receive from you. That we might drink deeply of Jesus. Do this, we pray. For his glory and our good. Amen. So my daughter Blair uh, has uh, what we have affectionately come to call this, this somewhat mysterious uh, affliction called water anxiety. <laughs> she comes by it quite honestly because Anna frequently preaches the benefit of this miracle drug called water. <laughs> she warns us all and anyone who will listen to her, uh, of the dangers of dehydration. That with dehydration comes, comes muscle ache, comes um, fatigue, trouble sleeping, heart problems, breathing problems, and frequent headaches. You know these symptoms, but what do we do when we feel these symptoms? We're, we're tempted and often do try and mask them with, with a pill. Maybe what we needed all along was just, quite simply, more water. Blair, 
becomes anxious when she thinks that she might not have enough water. So when she goes out for whatever task she is going to be doing that day, she might carry with her three full bottles of water walking out the door. She has multiple cups, half full, laying all around her room. Why does she do that? Because she's been dehydrated before. And she doesn't ever want that again. How about you? Have you been or are you now dehydrated? And no, I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about the deeper thirst. The deeper thirst that Jesus is talking to us about in this passage. Jesus, he opened up what we read today. It's not the opening. We've been reading throughout John 7 leading to this. But what we went to today, he opened up with an invitation. Are you thirsty? Come to me. Come to me and drink. But you heard it. In that invitation, there is an embedded question. Are you thirsty? And what are the symptoms of your thirst? We're not talking about headaches. We're not talking about muscle pain. We're talking about a deep longing. A deep longing for wholeness. Now, that thirst presents itself in a variety of symptoms. Maybe, maybe like the headaches that we deal with, you're, you're tempted to try and mask those symptoms with a pill rather than deal with the underlying need. When we're thirsty for wholeness, we, we don't, we don't take an Advil. We go in search of surface-level relationships. Maybe we, we fill the void with, with productivity, with doing, with activity. We can't leave ourselves alone with our, with our thoughts. Maybe we, we go on a shopping spree. We need to fill that, that void with, with material things. This, this thirst, this deep spiritual longing, it's not going to be met by any of those masking techniques. It is only satisfied through intimate relationship with the one who is whole. That means that this thirst, it's, it's actually not a problem. This thirst is, a, is an opportunity to look deep within, to recognize. What is, what is missing in our lives. And so to those who experience this thirst, Jesus offers this invitation and he says, come. Not come and I'll give you a glass of water. Jesus says, come to me and drink, drink me. Our thirst for wholeness, it's quenched in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Jesus is our hydration because Jesus is the living water. And, and in these verses, he promises that those who come and drink, those who believe out of them will flow rivers of living water. 
We've been building up to verses 37 and 38. So let's break them down for a second. First, I want you to see that that Jesus is, is equating drinking with believing. Believing, then, is not, it's not merely to know about Jesus, to know certain, certain things about him, certain facts about him, but to keep him at arm's distance. No, to believe in Jesus is to partake of him intimately. The baby in the mother's womb is connected through an umbilical cord, and that baby receives all of its nourishment from the mother. The, the baby drinks of the mother deeply, intimately. And, and in that drinking, the baby is, is sustained. The baby receives life as it is nourished there. This is Jesus' invitation to come and drink. And to drink Jesus is to, is to enter into a trusting personal relationship with him that translates into lasting satisfaction or as we've been describing it to wholeness but Jesus tells us here in these verses that when we drink deeply of him when we find that satisfaction in him it also then will manifest itself in in rivers of living water that flow out of us. In other words, this, this life that we find in Jesus is communicated then into the message of life that we give to others. When we drink from the water of life, then we become a river ourselves. Jesus said this about the Spirit. Well, Verse 39 tells us that he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. Because Jesus had not yet been glorified, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has existed from before the foundation of the world, for all eternity, in a mutually indwelling, loving union with Father and Son. The Spirit of God was was present and at work in creation. The Spirit of God would come upon Old Testament saints for temporary purposes to fulfill the ministry of God in that time. But as yet, He had not come in His current fulfillment as a permanent indwelling presence for believers. Jesus speaking here is anticipating what will happen after Pentecost. But as He speaks, know this see this beautifully clearly that he's speaking in the temple and in the old administration of the covenant of grace the temple was the place of God's dwelling symbolically yes but the temple was that's where God manifested his presence among his people and yet standing there in the temple Jesus looked to a time in the new administration of the covenant of grace when the spirit of God would dwell in believers not in a temple, symbolically, but tangibly, experientially in our hearts. Jesus is pointing to that time. But then what is the Holy Spirit doing in our hearts now after Pentecost? Well, the Holy Spirit is applying all of the work of Jesus, all of his saving work to his beloved 
Spirit is applying the work of salvation to us. And then the Spirit of God is working out those blessings experientially in our lives. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. And contrasts that fruit of the Spirit with the fruit of the flesh. What what Jesus speaks of here is what, what Paul articulates there in Galatians 5 as he, as he lays out for us what is this fruit of the Spirit, what the, this, this water that flows out of our hearts, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, the traits of the believer. Let me ask you, would you agree with me that these traits, these fruits, that they're not natural to mankind? We'd have to believe, we'd have to agree that those lists, that, that list of traits that have just articulated for you the fruit of the Spirit, those are supernatural fruits. We think about what is, what is natural for humankind. Simply take the opposite of everything that I've just described. And that tells us that this fruit is born out of the inner transforming work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And what you need to hear today is that is the gospel. The gospel is not merely that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He did this, yes. But he gave us his righteousness. And he gave us his spirit to grow in us experientially what he's already declared us to be. The gospel is this. We are forgiven and we have been and we are being transformed by the work of the spirit in our lives. The believer has drunk and is drinking Christ. And therefore, the believer is a living fountain of water, life-giving water that is flowing out of the heart, as the text tells us. So why the heart? We've been talking about the heart throughout John 7, but understand that throughout Scripture, the heart is, is the seed of our inner being. Maybe more appropriately in this text, it's not the heart, it's the kidneys. Our guts, <laughs> it's the seed of our desire. It's the seed of our will. It's what drives our actions outward. And so the scriptures from beginning to end speak about living out of our guts. But our guts being transformed. And so we hear this admonition repeated. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of living water. Jesus is promising that if you come and drink of him, you will bear living water. It's the fruit in a believer. But this text also points us to another fruit, the fruit of the flesh, confusion and division. Maybe more accurately, we should say that confusion is the reality of the flesh and division is the fruit of the flesh. 
this confusion we see in the text in verses 40 through 44. As we heard for the past few weeks, the people who were there listening to Jesus, they just didn't know what to do with him. Some of them declared him to be the prophet. And, and, in, and in their vernacular, the prophet was the, was the second coming of Moses. Some of them said he's the prophet. Some of them said he's the Christ. Now, they may not have fully understood. They likely did not fully understand what that meant. But some of them saw in Jesus this fulfillment of the Messiah. But others thought him to be an imposter. But in their accusation, there is a sad irony. Did you hear verse 42, what I read? Those who accused him said, Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. But they couldn't receive him because they were blind. You hear the irony? The irony means that we don't need more information. We need transformation. That, that was the crowds. The crowds who were confused. But for the Pharisees, the fruit of the flesh, it took on a bit of a sharper edge. Last week we, we heard the Pharisees drank from the well of self-sufficiency and comparison. We won't rehash all of that this week but what we do get to see this week is the way that it's played out in this particular scene i, I read to you the fruit of the flesh or the, the fruit of the spirit from galatians 5 but galatians 5 also tells us the fruit of the flesh what is true of us in our natural born state it's not pretty but it's who we are apart from this transforming work of the Spirit. This is what Paul identifies as, Paul, this is what God identifies as the fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you hear it? Division, rivalry, fits of anger, dissensions. See, it played out. See, it played out here in the Pharisees. They bore this fruit of division by going into attack mode. Clearly, there are three evidences of this attack mode. The first comes in verses 45 through 47 as they attack the officers. And accused them of being deceived. The officers came back to the Pharisees empty-handed. And the Pharisees said, we sent you out to do a task. We sent you out to go get Jesus. Why did you not do what we told you to do? Here's what they said. No one has ever spoken like this man. And they accused these officers of being foolish, of being weak. You fell for it. You were deceived. And they attacked them. Oh, but they're not done. In verse 49, they go on to attack the crowds. Their attack against the crowds, they, they call them accursed, but it has a particular version of, of cursing. You see, the Pharisees were arrogantly accusing the crowd of ignorance. Poor crowd. They don't understand the law. They're not learned like us. That was their attack. 
against the crowd, but they're not done because they're about to attack one of their own. Finally, in verse 50 to 52, we come to Nicodemus, and this attack gets personal. You remember Nicodemus, don't you? We, we heard of Nicodemus when we were in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was, was a teacher of the law, a teacher of Israel. He came to see Jesus by night. He was curious. He was, he was on the path, but Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're this close to the kingdom of God, but you're blind and cannot see. You must be born again. It's a theme we've heard a lot in John. This call for the new birth, the inner transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit. Jesus preached it to Nicodemus. And here we see Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus again. He was one of them, but here he stood up for Jesus, and as he stood up for Jesus, they attacked him. Are you Galilean too? Translated? You're just a backwoods hick. You're one of him. Ironically, they tell Nicodemus to go search the scriptures. Nicodemus is accusing them of inconsistency in those very scriptures that they are telling him to go search. They were using the word of God, twisting it and turning it for their own devices. He used the word of God to advocate for Jesus. Nicodemus may not yet be converted, but this is not the last time we'll see him in John's gospel. He'll show up again in John 19. I want to be careful to not make too much of this, but at least it seems that Nicodemus is on the path toward belief, drinking in some way from the fountain of living water. See, in this text, we've got a discussion of the fruit of the Spirit, and we've got a picture of the fruit of the flesh, and it's, it's at war in all of us. And so where do we turn for hope? Ultimately, our hope, our hope of change is Christ. His drawing, His quenching, His transforming power, His work of bearing spiritual fruit in our lives. And that work, that hope that we have in His work, the Bible tells us is certain. In other words, you can take it to the bank. It will happen. That is our hope of change. And yet some of us are here this morning wrestling with this promise of change in our own lives. Why is it not happening? Why am I not changing? Why is it not happening according to my timetable? And some of us in that wrestling are here this morning and we are either tempted to or have already given up hope. Maybe, for many of us, the struggle is that we are looking to self, to do what self is not capable of doing. If I wanted an apple, I could go into my backyard and I could plant an apple tree. But try as I'm, I might, I can't will that apple tree to pop out fruit. I can't make it happen but what I can do is I can do the things that that make for a healthy tree what is that 
Well, I can nurture the soil. I can pull the weeds. I can water the tree. I can give it fertilizer, trusting that a healthy tree will be a fruit-producing tree. But some of us have forgotten or have never learned. And so we are trying to produce fruit in our own lives, in essence, by stapling apples to the branches. Jesus is the one who produces fruit, not us. Here's the truth. People don't change by themselves. People don't change by themselves, but praise be to God, they do change by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes us into the image of Christ. That is the gospel. He changes us, not merely, again, not merely that we are forgiven, but that we have been and are being transformed. It's all Jesus. It's all His Spirit, and yet we are not passive in this. We have a role to play, and so what does that role look like? Well, from this text, I want to give you some thoughts on what that role looks like, particularly from verses 37 and 38. We'll think of it in three categories. Number one, develop a thirst. Be thirsty, and then come and drink. Thirdly, live out of the overflow. What does, it, what does it mean to be thirsty? It's to take a, a good, hard look under the hood. It's to examine our hearts deeply. And to ask, not merely what am I doing, but why am I doing it? What is behind my struggles? What is behind my hurts? Not what is the symptom, but what is the seed. Not do I have a headache, but am I thirsty? Most of us don't go there. There's reasons why we don't go there. Some of us just simply don't have time to look that deeply inside our own hearts. And some of us have never been taught to go there. We've never seen it modeled and so we blindly walk along the surface. And so as we think about developing a thirst, I want to encourage you, go there. But don't go alone. Be vulnerable with a friend. If you don't have a friend, develop a friend through your own vulnerability. Because a friend, a true friend, the church, as the church is designed to be, the church friend will take you there to explore the thirst. But here's the thing. The true friend that takes you to your thirst won't leave you at your thirst. So secondly, come and drink. A friend, the point of thirst, will take you to Jesus. Identifying and, and experiencing our thirst by itself is not what is life-giving. It's simply the necessary first step. And then, with our thirst, we take it to Jesus and drink deeply of Him.
come and drink. And then live out of the overflow. The inflow, it produces an outflow. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is our friend. The Spirit of God is our our friend who takes us to the point of thirst. The Spirit of God is our friend who takes us to Christ. So be that friend for someone else. And in that way, we are the church. We are the bride. The bride of Christ. You know what the bride of Christ is? The church is? The church is quite simply one thirsty sinner taking another thirsty sinner to the well to drink. But before we can take someone, we must first drink of Jesus. And so Jesus' invitation is not merely to come and get a cup of water for the journey. Jesus' invitation is to come to me. When we opened John chapter 7, I tried to set the scene for, for us as to what was going on in this Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is the, is the harvest feast the people of Israel. It was the time in the fall when they would celebrate God's provision. It was the time when they would look back on God's provision in the wilderness. And so they lived in tents. They offered a series of sacrifices and they worshipped the provider. But on the seventh day of the feast, the, the people they, they walked in a processional around the altar and they sang the, the psalms of praise, culminating in Psalm 118 where they celebrated the Lord's steadfast love that endures forever. And then having sung, the, the priest would, would bring a jar full of water that had been dipped from the pool at Siloam and there in the temple would pour out that water is a remembrance of the time when the Lord provided water for the people in the wilderness, in the desert. Exodus 17 tells us that story. The Lord commanded Moses to go and strike the rock. But at that moment, at that moment when, when the feast had come to the culmination and the priests were there to pour out the, rock, the water, Jesus cried out. He's not saying, he's not speaking at this time. The text tells us he's crying out, he's shouting, he's pleading. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In the wilderness, God provided water from the rock. But 1 Corinthians 10, 4 tells us so clearly that the rock is Christ. And Jesus is taking his rightful place in the temple saying, I am the one who provides water. I am the one who provides living water. Come to me. And then on the cross, Jesus himself was struck. He was struck with the wrath of God that was meant for us. And because he was struck, you and I, we might have life everlasting, a life that is not produced by the fruit of our own self-will or determination, but by drinking of Christ by faith and by faith alone. This faith and the salvation that accompanies it, it is all from beginning to end a work of God's free grace. 
And so from beginning to end in the Word of God, we find the invitation that this day was our meditation for worship, and it is also our conclusion for the sermon. Revelation 22, 17. At the culmination of all things, the bride and the Spirit say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without That is our invitation this day. And Father, you are an abundant God. You are wise and holy. You are gracious and merciful. And you have given us a a fountain of living water from which to drink for all eternity. Give us that blessing this morning drinking of Jesus. Again, for his glory and for our good. Amen.